right. You can flip this thing back over, this, this bulletin, and we're going to dive into God's Word just for a few moments. Uh, and so we're in a sermon series called BYOF, and, and the sermon series has basically been teaching our church, if you've never been here before, teaching our church to share their faith. Teaching our church to share their faith in a way that is understandable to this world. What we've come away with understanding is evangelism, which is sharing your faith, is my responsibility. Evangelism is your responsibility. I want you to say that with me. If you've never been to church here before, this is going to completely freak you out. It's okay. We're crazy. But if this is your church, I want you to say this. Ready? Everybody say evangelism. evangelism. See, you guys are 1130 service, and so you're supposed to be awake. You, you, you slept in today. You, you, you did things you weren't proud of last night, so you're here right now at 1130 trying to get things right with God. So you're supposed to be awake right now. So I want you to say it again at Limerick Campus. I want you to say evangelism. There you go. Is my responsibility. It's, it's your, it's not my responsibility. I'm not the expert evangelist up here. I'm just trying to figure out this whole God thing as I'm going to. I'm not, it's not my job to tell everybody you bring about Jesus. It's all of our jobs to share the goodness of Jesus Christ. Next week, I'm going to show you how to share your faith. But today, after we've talked about the, the why, everybody is either going one of two places when they die. That's why evangelism is so important. The gospel is such good news because there is such bad news, and the bad news is there's a place called hell that was not designed for you and me, but that sin has kind of evolved and captured us in, and that's our destiny without a Savior. That's why Jesus is so good. That's why the grace of God is so good, and so that's the why, and then I talk to you about the what. What's evangelism? It's just sharing something you love with someone you love. It's just sharing the thing that you love, which is Jesus, with, with, a love, with a family member that you love or a friend that you love. And last week, we talked to you about the, the where. I, will, I, I encourage you, be aware of your situations this week. Be intentional with your conversation. And ultimately, if you go to Journey Church, be kind. Like, there's nothing worse than an unkind Christian. There's nothing more ungodly than somebody who's not kind. And so it's God's kindness that leads people to him. And so I, I challenge you to be kind. Today I want to talk to you uh, about the who. I don't know if you understand this or not, but there is there's certain cues that you can kind of look for in life to, to kind of see this is an opportunity for me to make, to make a move. There's certain, there's certain things you should look for. Let me, let me give you some cues. How many are in this place uh, are, are married to a husband? You're married to a husband. Like if you're married, you're married to, come on, put your, come on. Some of y'all are embarrassed of your husbands. Put your hand up really high. You're married. Okay, okay. I'm going to teach you something about your husband. If your husband ever cleans, ever you come home and you smell 409 or Clorox wipes or something like that. If he does that without being asked, some of us we do it because we're asked because we're good husbands. But if he ever, you're coming home, he knows you're coming home, he puts his little dust thing on, he's dusting around, he's wiping stuff off, he's cleaning stuff, he's got in the toilet, he's cleaning that off, he's picked up all the clothes, all that stuff. He wants to have sex when you get home. Right? Like, that, that's the truth. Like, he, he's not cleaning and going, okay, I'm just doing this. I'm doing this out of the goodwill of my heart. This is so fun. I love cleaning up. He's going, my wife, when she comes in and smells this, her clothes are just going to fall off. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and so I'm going to do this. And so when you come home and you're like, you clean, yep, and that's it, he's like, this is the sign. Like, I, I want to I make sweet love into my, to my bride, and so I clean. Right, here's some more cues. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a wife and your wife uh, starts talking to you, She's not trying to have sex with you. That's not, that's not what's going on right there. She just wants to talk to you. But, but maybe one cue you need to understand is if your wife looks at you and says, you know, does this make me look fat or, or, or should I buy this? You always say, yeah, it looks great. Like you don't ever, if she goes, how does this make me look? You always say, 
you look great. Like you look amazing. You look, you are the best looking woman that I've ever seen. You are better looking now than when I married you. That's a great line. That's a cue for you. That, that's a secret. That's a sign for you. You don't ever say, nah, you don't look that good. You used to look good when I married you, but now you're starting to look like your mom. Never say that. Like, you never, I've never tried that. Some of you have. But there's certain things, listen, there's certain things that, that are presented to you that, that are cues or signs that you should kind of take, take advantage of it. In the Bible, Jesus comes to his first disciples. And I always think this is interesting because I think if we were to talk about Jesus today and talk about how he would build his church, we would think he would come to the best of the best. He would come to those that have the most pedigree. He would come to those that have the most schooling. He would come to those that have the most backing, that can quote the most scripture. But Jesus didn't go to those people to change the world. He went to normal people. He went to the fishermen. He went to the tax collectors. He went to the nobodies and ultimately used them to do something spectacular in this earth. And so if you feel like a nobody, you're in the right place today. And Jesus comes to his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, and he says, he says you're fishing right now, but I want to make you fishers of men. You're fishing for fish right now, but I want to make you fishers of men. And there's so much application there. But one of the things that I have always thought is, I'm not a fisher. I don't know if you could tell that or not. I'm not an outdoorsman. Like, I, I don't like being in the cold. I don't, like, my, I lose my voice. If, it's, if it looks like it's cold outside, I lose my voice. And so, like, I don't want to camp with you. I don't want to fish with you. I don't want to hunt with you. I'm not quiet enough. I don't like to wear pee. I don't like to do that stuff. And so, I don't like camo. It's not cool. They don't sell it at H&M. Like, I'm not there with you. But when I was a kid, I went fishing one time. One time. One time in my life was my Uncle Terry. He, he's passed away from brain cancer, and so I, I, but I have memories of, of things I did with him, and I went fishing with him one time when I was 13 years old, and I remember he told me, look, there's certain things, if you're going to be a fisher of fish, there's certain things you have to do. You can't just go out, stand on the edge, throw your line out, not put any bait on there, and say, I'm going to catch some fish. Here I am, I'm fishing. Fish, come onto my line. Jump into my boat right now. So there's certain things you got to do. You got to get up early, like, like early, like six o'clock, in the morning early and so you got to get up early you got to get uh, it, the right smell and the right attitude and the right demeanor and you can't go out there and be yelling when you're fishing and so you, that's why I'm not a good fisherman and so and you need to go to the right spot in the in the lake and you need to fish in the right spot on the right side of the boat at the right time with the right smell with the right bait and then you'll catch fish and I want to tell we didn't catch one fish I, that's why I quit I'm like, this is stupid. Like, I, I did everything you said, but the truth is that that's really applicable when it comes to fishing. I think Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you fishes of men, but I'm also going to teach you about signs or cues. Because I don't know if you're like me, there's times I've shared my faith with people and it just feels like I'm throwing a seed at a rock wall. Like, I'll be like, you, you, you believe in Jesus? No. Okay, I'm out. And you share faith, and it's like, why didn't it take root? Why didn't it go down and deep? Why for some people, when you share your faith, are their eyes opened up, and is their life changing? Why for other people, when you share your faith, is it like you're sharing it with a, a brick wall, or they get mad, or they got all these pre, preconceived ideas? And I think that there's, there's maybe applications we can take away as we're going towards sharing our faith, where we can recognize, man, this is a great opportunity, or this is a cue, or a sign people are are sending me. And so I want to take you into a story in the book of John chapter 4. It's a really famous story uh, that maybe you've read before. It's called The Woman at the Well. And, and it's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's one of my favorite interactions with Jesus and somebody. And the reason it's one of my favorite interactions is because there's so much scandal involved in it. Like there's just so much that's out of the, the character of a religious person. 
Like at that time, the things that he was in doing with this lady, interacting with this lady, talking to this lady, it was just unheard of at that time. The place that he was going to be, you're going to read in the story, that he goes to Samaria. It doesn't just say he goes, it says he has to go to Samaria. And if you don't know the Bible, and, and maybe you've never read the story, what you need to understand is he was a Jewish man. They never went to Samaria, ever went to Samaria. Like if they had to go somewhere that where Samaria was in the middle, they wouldn't pass through Samaria to get to Boyertown or wherever they were traveling. They would travel around Samaria so they wouldn't even touch it like they they would if they ever walked into Samaria and accidentally as they were walking around got some dust on them from Samaria before they re-entered a Jewish kind of territory they would shake the dust of the Samaritans off them because they were so dirty like people didn't go to Samaria and so that's why this story is so scandalous that's why it's so good the Bible says in John chapter 4 verse number 4 now Jesus had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was noon. If you have your Bible on you version, I want you to highlight that. It's so important. It was noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I've always loved this interaction because oftentimes I'll talk to people about church and they have all these preconceived ideas of what church is like. This is like this situation. This guy's he's, he's a rabbi. He's a Jewish rabbi. He's a, he's a, he, has a, he has disciples. He's kind of a, a big deal. And here he is talking to this woman at noon when no one else is there. And I think in her head, she's thinking, this guy is trying to hook up with me. Like, I know that seems sacrilegious to say, but think about it. He's throwing out game to her. Baby, I got water. That will never leave you thirsty. I mean, that's, that's a 2,000-year-old that's a pickup line. You want water? I got water. We'll never leave you dry. And she looks at him. She goes, give me some of that water. I don't want to be thirsty no more like that. Jesus does exactly what he does with Peter, just in a different tone. I'm sure it wasn't like that with Peter, but he comes to Peter and he says, boy, you be fishing, you want to go fish for men. You know, in the most straight way possible, let's go fish for men. <laughs> I know that just kind of got weird right there. And this whole interaction starts to happen, and look, listen how it keeps going. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me some of that water so I won't thirst again. And then Jesus gets real with her. I love Jesus right here. So many times when you're talking to somebody and you, you know, you're kind of talking about faith, we're, we tend to be kind of embarrassed about the sin thing and embarrassed about you know, the love of God and, and the truth of God and we, the, the, the grace is we want to kind of walk on the grace but the truth. And Jesus is a perfect balance of both. He's grace and he's truth. And he looks at her and he gets real with her. He says, go, call your husband and come back. And she quickly says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man who is now your husband or you're with is not your husband. You have said something that's quite true. And then she does what every person does who gets conflicted or, or, or convicted by, by the gospel message. She starts getting religious. 
I know what you're saying is true, Jesus, but I don't really know where to worship. She starts talking about all these different worship. If I was able to worship in the right place, I wouldn't have all these husbands. It's actually the, the other people's fault. And Jesus says, come on. Same thing Jesus has said to all of us when we come to him and we have all these excuses of why we can't change. And he's saying, come on, you can change because I, I died on the cross for your sins. I, I became the change that you needed to be. And the Bible says, just to, to kind of ad-lib this story, that she eventually drops her pot that she came with to get water with, and she runs back to her town, and she says, you've got to come see this guy. He told me everything. He knew everything about my life, yet he still had a purpose and plan for me. And the Bible says that as Jesus is talking to his disciples, they come back, and they see him talking to this woman. They're like, Jesus. And Jesus is looking at them, and he's saying, have you forgotten who you were before you met me? Which many times I think happens to church people. When we get all met, we're like, how can, how can you even have that type of person at your church? Wait, wait, wait. Did you forget who you were before you met me? Did you forget what you would have been had you not met me? Do you, do you know where your life would be had you not met me? And some of us church to church people, we go, oh, man, I'm great. You're probably not saved yet then. Because you haven't hit the rock bottom that you need to hit before you can know who the rock is. His name is Jesus Christ. So the Bible says they come running back. The disciples are kind of weirded out by this whole situation. And the Bible says that Jesus once again talks about the harvest. And, and some theologians believe he's seeing the entire town come his way. This woman had went back to her town and brought everybody back to meet Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus hangs out there two more days. And many people come to faith in Jesus Christ. What an opportunity Jesus took. And I believe that from this we can learn three lessons. Number one is this. Here's three knots that are signs accused to invite somebody to church. I'm not going to lie to you today. I stole these from another pastor. His name is Andy Stanley. He's super smart and super famous, and so I don't think he'll care. Three knots. I read them in a, in a, in a tweet. I love when, when wisdom comes from social media and 40 lines or less. Number one is this. Here's how you know you should invite somebody to church already. Really practical. They do not go to church already. They do not go to church already. There is... Five million people that live in the Philadelphia region, roughly. Five million people. There's 200,000 people that are sitting right now in a church on Sunday morning. There's 200,000 out of five million people that say, yeah, I have faith in Jesus Christ and, and are part of a church. That's what studies and stats tell us. There's 4.8 million people that right now, as we're doing church... That if Jesus came back, if the trumpet sounded, the rapture happened, that would be left behind. And I know you've seen the movie. It's going to be much worse than, than Kirk Cameron or, or Nicolas Cage. Or any, like, they're going to be left behind, and, and, and it's going to be really bad here. 4.8 million people. And what ends up happening so many times in, in church is we, we tend to invite other church people to our church. There's 200,000 people. They're, they're in church right now. And, and we tend to focus on, on the people that are already in church and not on the 4.8 million people that aren't yet in church. And here's what I know about this lady. The Bible says it's about noon and she's by herself. So if you've never read the Bible before, you don't know the times and all that stuff, this is, this is the story. This is the backstory that you gather from this situation. Women of that day were very much like women of this day. Women have never changed, right? That's why when Adam and Eve were together, Adam was excited when another woman showed up on the, on, 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 on the world eventually he, because he needed help figuring out Eve. Like even if you have a wife, you know that as soon as you think you figured out a, a woman, they get complex, even more complex. And you're like, I got you figured out. And they're like, no, I just turned 40. I got a whole new world to live. And you're like, what, what? That's how women are, so you think you got them. So, but there's certain things that if you're a guy that you need to understand, women have never changed. And here's one of the things that have never changed about women. Women like to go do things together. Like for a guy, you, you don't say you need to go to the bathroom 
and look over. And I see Seth sitting over here and say, hey, Seth, you want to go with me to the bathroom real fast? He's fine. We're just going to talk, hang out, be buddies, wash your hand together. But how many times has your wife or your, your girlfriend or growing up, they've been like, hey, you have to eat. We're with a bunch of people. And they're like, hey, we're all going to go use the restroom. And you're thinking, what does that mean exactly? That's what women do. They go to the mall. You don't go shopping with another guy at the mall. You just, you just don't. It's just weird. You don't walk around H&M, Gap, wherever you shop, look up clothes together, stuff like that. If you do, you keep a distance from them. You know, you don't, you'll meet you in 45 minutes, and, and, and if, you need, if you need more time than that, then you're a girl. So anyway, I'm just saying, like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to shop. But girls, they go shopping together. Girls do go to the bathroom together. Girls like to talk together. Girls like to do things. If you go to a house where, where guys are hanging out, and you go to a house where girls are hanging out, here's how it, how it sounds when guys are hanging out. You give me some pretzels. And the girls are hanging out. It's just like so. So here's what we know about this culture: girls, they went to get the water. That was the girl's job at that time. Sorry, girls, you were you got the water, so you went to the well and got the water. And when you went, was really important because it was hot. It was a desert, so girls would go in the morning and they would go at nighttime. So all the girls would get their little pots in the morning, and they would say, hey, come on, Susie, and, and Mary, and, 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 and every other girl in the thing, they'd put their little babies on there like the hippies do, put the little babies, and they, they'd walk to the, to the well, and they'd talk about husbands, and they'd tell you, where'd you get that, that new mascara, oh, that's camel dung, and all that stuff, and so put that in, and they get their water, and they walk back, and they do their job, take care of their babies, make their meals, and then at nighttime, it was time to go again. It was a great time of the day. Except this woman went at noon. She wanted the hottest part of the day. Here's why she wanted the hottest part of the day, because no one else was at that well. No one else would be there. We know from her story that she had a little bit of, it, of an issue. It wasn't very, very normal at that time to be sleeping around. So she's embarrassed of her life, and here she comes, and she's walking to this well, and she's praying that nobody's going to be there. And here's Jesus. And here's what I know about Jesus. In the situations in your life when, when you don't want anybody else to be there, you don't want any, any, anybody else to know about it, and really, maybe everybody else has abandoned you, that's where Jesus meets you. In the situations in your life when you you're kind of feel like you should put it away and hide it and kind of just deal with it, that's where Jesus meets you. And so Jesus meets her, and it's about noon, and she's all by herself. She's isolated. She has no, no family. She has no friends. She's embarrassed, and Jesus meets her there. And church, that's what the Bible calls the church family. The church is, is a family. It's completely dysfunctional, and it's made up of the craziest people in the world, but it's the family. And when it's functioning right, when it's functioning in hope and grace and mercy and in love and in forgiveness and in second chances and in seeing what maybe somebody else doesn't see, let me tell you something about this church today. If you're here today and you feel all alone, can I tell you what we see for your life? We see your best days out ahead of you. We see that, that, that the mistakes that you've made in your past is not the, the written in stone story for you, but there's a God that can put a comma where, where, where you try to put a period or where the world tried to write you off, that God can write a comma right there, and he can change the, utterly the course of history in your life if you allow him. That that's what we believe, that we believe no matter how screwed up that you are and no matter how many mistakes that you made, that you are supposed to be in this family, and you're just joining the other, other screw-ups in this place because we know that there is not good and bad people in this place. There's only bad people that have been changed and saved by a good God. Like this is a spiritual home for people. And so when you go around and you take the opportunities to invite people to church that already go to church, you're basically telling the 4.8 million other people, hey, I don't got time for you because I'm so busy working on the fish that have already been caught. 
This would be like me walking into your house and seeing a big marlin on your, on your wall that you caught on some fishing expedition that you paid $500 so some real fisherman could catch, but you lie to everybody else. And getting it down and taking it into the pool in your backyard and throwing it in and th- getting my net out and catching that fish and saying, hey, I'm taking this to my house to put it on my wall because I caught it. You'd be like, you didn't catch that, I caught that. You didn't do anything but catch the dead fish that was already mounted. That's what happens when you invite church people to your church. They're not a win for the church. The Bible doesn't applause when somebody in town A says, you know what, I'm tired of town A church, so I'm going to go to town A slash one church and try that out for a little, and then I'm going to go over to this church and try that out for a little, and I'm going to do this, and God's not in heaven going, 4.8 million people don't know Jesus, and you're spending time. You're spending time reaching into somebody else's aquarium instead of deep sea fishing. When they say they know, they don't know God and don't have a relationship with God, you have an opportunity. I want to invite you into the family. I want to invite you into a place where healing and hope take place. Number two is this. It is another opportunity to invite somebody to church is when, they, when you know they're going through something they were not prepared for. They were not prepared for something. We don't know the, the whole story, right? We only know it's and bits and pieces of our story. But what I do know is nobody ends up with that low of a self-esteem without, without going through some garbage in their life. Nobody comes out and says, you know what, I want to give my body away to people that won't commit themselves to me. It's, it's, listen, and this time it's kind of normal because we've kind of taken down the importance of the human body and taken down life. But at that time, it wasn't normal. Like for me, I'm looking at her life and I'm going, what happened what happened to get her to this point? What happened in her life? What, what form of sexual abuse? What form of neglect? What form of abandonment? What wound is she carrying around on this earth that she was not prepared to carry around? And listen, I'm looking at her life, and what I love about Jesus is Jesus is not judging her for where she's at in this moment because she's understand, he understands where she's coming from. He understands what she's carrying in. And listen, he doesn't come to fix the, the addiction or to kind of numb the pain. He comes to fix the problem that's all the way back in the, in the, the beginning of the situation where you, where you went through something you weren't prepared to go through. You're going to come in contact with people all the time, and you're going to have the opportunity to look at them and go, man, you're jacked up. What is wrong with that person? And the whole time God's going, I know what's wrong with them. They went through something that they, they, they physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually weren't prepared to handle. They went through some, some pain, they went through some neglect, they went through some abandonment. Maybe you're in this place and you say, that's me. Here's the thing about life, is you'll never be prepared to handle this life unless, you, unless you've met the one who's prepared your story long before you got here. You'll never be prepared to handle the thing that happened to you. you you'll get angry, you'll get more bitter, you'll get more emotional, maybe you'll numb the pain, maybe you'll dive into relationship after relationship, but until you meet the one that can heal the pain that you weren't prepared to handle. In other words, I don't know if you understand this, but this life outside of God does not come with a manual. It would be like you going into Ikea. I don't know if you've ever been to Ikea, but Ikea has beautiful things in it. It's just, I know, it's just junk. Some, some Dutch person just said that it's junk. All right, I got you. But it's cheap and it looks good, right? So you go into Ikea and you buy that, that, that dresser or, or that thing and you get it in the box and you go home and you're like, and you open it up and there's no instructions and you think to yourself, I'll just put it together myself. Ha! There's not a person in this room that has the capabilities to put anything together with Ikea unless you read the Swedish instructions, the little guys. 
If you try to put that together, you're going to have screws in the wrong place and knobs in the wrong place, and you're going to have all sorts of pieces left over. Why? That for you to have that, that picture or that thing of beauty, that, that, that object that you bought, you have to also have the instruction manual. For you to, for you to understand the creation and put it into perspective, you need to understand the creator. And the same thing is true. This woman, she's not been prepared to live this life. She's gone through stuff that she wasn't prepared to handle until she meets the one that has prepared her story before the foundations of the world. You're going to come into contact, and what an opportunity when somebody's going, man, I'm going through something I simply am not prepared or equipped to handle. Number three, lastly, is you have an opportunity or a cue to invite people to church or to your faith when you meet them, if they're your friends or family, and things are just not going well. Nobody comes to Jesus on the top of the mountain. That's not how we work. In fact, that's been one of the, the greatest hindrances in life since the beginning of man. If you read the story in, uh, of the Bible story at all in the Old Testament, this is how it goes. Life is bad. We need Jesus. Life gets good. We're fine. Life gets bad. We need God to save us from this army. Life gets good. We're fine. We'll, we'll worship other things. It's like this... It's so annoying, actually. You look at it, you're like, this, these are the dumbest people in the world until you step back and look at your own life. And you're like, I am what I hate. I am, I am, I am them. Like, this is what I do. I need God. When it's bad, as soon as it gets good, I don't need God. You see it all the time. You see some girl coming to church, she needs God, and then she finds a boyfriend, all of a sudden she's not at church anymore. You see some guy, he needs God, he comes here, he gets on top of the world, and he's, you know. So what an opportunity this, this Jesus has when he meets this woman, because she's at the bottom he looks at her, he says, not only have you, are you insecure, so you're giving your life and your body, your future away to people that don't care about you, you're doing it again, and it's, it's going the same place, it's just not going well. So Jesus looks at her, and he says, you're thirsty, and here's the good thing, if you look at your life and you say, nothing quenches my thirst, I drink all this world has to have, and I'm still thirsty, Jesus says the same thing to you today. I have water that will never leave you thirsty again. You're, you're, you're drinking and you're eating of things in this world that are constantly leaving you thirsty. If you have spiritual thirst, it's because you need the one that can quench the thirst. His name's Jesus. As I was studying this week for my, for my message, I realized that there was some connection between this woman and, and the, the death that Jesus died on the cross. There's a part of where he's hanging on the cross and the Bible says that he's thirsty. He cries out, I'm thirsty. And they bring bitter gall to him and they put it in his mouth and some people believe that it was an act of mercy but if I know the, the Romans I mean I, I, I don't see why they would be merciful there they've done everything to destroy this man up to this point they've shamed him they've mocked him he's hanging there naked I mean his, it, there's nothing there where they're going to go mercy unless they're trying to prolong the death I think they were just mocking him so he says I'm thirsty on the cross he, he becomes what we would be without God he's thirsty, he's shame, he's hopeless, he carries the weight of the sin, he's doomed for hell, like that, that's, that's the cross, the cross is full of shame, and the Bible says he's thirsty, he becomes everything that we should have been, so that we could become everything that he is, he became thirsty, so that you don't have to thirst anymore, and the same thing he's telling this, this female, Hey, you're thirsty. What you're thirsty for? You're thirsty for love and you're thirsty for affection and you're thirsty for security and you're thirsty for purpose and you keep drinking out of the toilet bowl. 
I got water that will never leave you thirsty again. I have a relationship with you that will make you feel complete. I am your security. I am your hope. I am your future. I am your foundation. I am everything you've been looking for. I know you weren't prepared to handle it, and I know it's not going good, but I got more in your future, more plans in store for you. And Jesus offers her a different relationship. And you're going to come into contact with you. Maybe that's you right here. And you're going, man, it's just not going well. People, they get married. And I always think to myself, are they ready? Because I meet people all the time that were married. They spend all this money on these, on these weddings. And then a couple years later, you talk to them. And they say, it's just not going well. What an opportunity for Jesus to intervene. There's people who would say, you know what, uh-uh, it's just not going well with my addiction. It's just not going well at my job. It's just not going well with raising kids. They're crazy. It's just not going well. What an opportunity for you to invite them into the one that has written their story, the one that secures their future, the one that redeems their past, the one that speaks to who they are and who he sees and not what they've done and what they bring to him. That's Jesus. It's just not going well. I'm handling something I wasn't prepared to handle. I don't have a church or a family. What an opportunity you have this week. Would you stand with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me as we get ready to wrap this day up? And I believe before that you go into your life, before that you take another step into what is normalcy, now maybe you would say, you know, man, my life is just not going well. My marriage is just not going well. My struggle with, with addiction, my struggle with, with pain, my struggle with, with bitterness, it's just not going well. Maybe somebody else in this place would say, you know what, I, I, I'm aware. There's things that have happened that I simply was not prepared to handle. I know oftentimes people will say, I don't believe in God because God's a crutch. And I am strong enough to do life on my own. And I unashamedly speak back to them and I say, I believe in God because I need a foundation. I am too weak to walk on this earth. I am too hopeless to bring joy and peace to my life. I needed Jesus. I need a Savior. He gave me water that will never leave me thirsty again. And I only preach because I know who that I am and I know what that he's done for me. That's why we're so passionate about sharing this message, and that's why we're so thrilled that you're here. There's not one person here or in Limerick that arrived here by accident, that God set this moment up right now, that there's been people that have been praying for you, there's been people that have been giving so that we can open up these doors so that you can sit in that exact seat. There's people that gave money to buy that seat that you're sitting in, and when they gave it, they didn't just buy a church seat. They bought an opportunity for you and for the people in this room to come in and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And you weren't invited by accident, friend. Stuff's not going well. I'm not prepared. Here's the thing. I'm thirsty, and I can't find anything to quench my thirst. That's spiritual thirst, and it's only fulfilled by the one that created you. His name is Jesus Christ, and he hung on a cross 2,000 years ago. That's what the church celebrates every time we open up our doors. When we sing about the grace of God, it represents the cross of God. When we sing about the hope of God, it represents the cross of God. When we sing about the peace of God, it represents the cross of God. That on that cross hung my Savior. That's where I should have been. That's how my life should have ended. That my shame, that my bitterness, that my sin, that my resentment, that my anger, that they were mine. That I would die in my sin, but Jesus, he died the death that I should have died. And now I get to, life, get to live the life that's only found in Jesus Christ. He forgave my sins. He set me free. 
He gave me peace and he gave me a future. And friend, he has the exact same plan for you. That you're not here by accident. Stuff is not going well. I've been going through life and I, I was not prepared to handle what came my way. And I believe that all these things have led me to this point where I can respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you just close your eyes and would you just pray for a second? Would you just pray in this moment? This is a holy moment. The Bible says heaven stops. There's a peace in this place right now. Your past, it's, it's silenced right now. Your future is filled with hope. Your future is filled with a with a, with a plan, and right now in the present, it hinges on the decision that you make. It hinges on the, the decision that you are about to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's what the Bible says, that if you want to have a relationship with God, that you don't do the work, that you simply stop running, that you stop running and you turn your life over to Jesus. And when, listen, when you reach your hand towards heaven, long before you ever reach your hand towards heaven, that your father knew you were going to be here, and his hands have already reached down to you, and he's ready to hold you, he's ready to save you, he's ready to forgive you, he's ready to set you free. What was true of you in this moment is no longer going to be true of you. What your past said about you is no longer going to be said about you. Your past is going to be forgiven. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that you'll be a brand new creation. You'll be a brand new creation. That's the message of the gospel. But it's up to you, friend. Today, I'm going to make the decision. My life is not going well. I'm going through things I was not prepared to handle. My marriage is falling apart. I can't overcome this addiction. I can't stop doing the things I, I say to myself I'm going to stop doing. I can't find fulfillment on this earth. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. As we pray, if that's you in this place, we do the same thing every week with nobody looking around. We just ask you to respond to the gospel, to respond to Jesus. He's here. He set this meeting up for you. He could be anywhere else. You're one in a billion to this world, but to Jesus, you're his. You're his, friend. You're his, and he's been thinking about you long before you were ever thinking about him. If you're in this place and you say, you know what, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you just without thinking shoot your hand up in the air with nobody looking around and say, you know what, today, today, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I see two hands right here. Is there anybody else to say, Pastor, that's me. That's me, Pastor. I see a hand back here. Is there anybody else to say, Pastor, that's me. Today, I'm going to respond. I see another hand right here. I see another hand. Yes, would you keep your hand up in the air and say, that's me, that's me, that's me. That's me. See another hand right here. Yep, yep, yep. Is anybody else to say, Pastor, that's me? We're praying with you. The reason we're clapping is because we're excited where your life is going. We're excited about what's about to happen in your life. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me? Pastor, that's me. My life is not going well. I was not prepared to handle this. I need a Savior right now. I need a Savior. I see another hand right here, right here. Yes, 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 yes. Anybody else say, Pastor, that's me? That's me. Would you pray with me as we close church all over this house? If you raise your hand, this is what you need to do. You need to talk to God just like he's your friend. I'm not, I'm not a better prayer than you are. I don't know you better than you know you. You know you better than, than anybody else. But here's the thing. But God knows you even more. God knows you even more. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you need. He knows where you've been. He knows that he needed to meet you right here at this well right now so you could stop drinking the water that wasn't fulfilling you. Today you're drinking the everlasting water. The Bible says when we confess and we believe that he is Lord, that we will be saved. So you just talk to God. I'm going to pray with you. Jesus, thank you so much for this day at both of our campuses. I'm thankful that you moved in our midst. I'm thankful that you accomplished what only you can accomplish, that your, your word it never returns void, that it's not about the messenger, and it's not about the music, and it's not about this room. It's about you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that you're here. The people of God are in this room. They've given, they've served, they've fasted, and they've prayed, and it's all been worth it. 
It's all been worth it as we add people to this family today, Lord. Lord, as we add people whose lives are being changed forever, whose marriages, whose futures, whose, whose relationships are being changed today through the relationship with you, Jesus Christ, that you died in our place on a cross. You were placed in the tomb, and on the third day, we believe that you rose from the dead. Not only did you die for our sin, but you defeated sin. You canceled it out, and now not only do we have life with you on this earth, but we are promised eternal life. Lord, that's where our hope resides. That's why we live on this earth, knowing what you promised us and knowing why we're here. We don't wake up one more morning on this earth without the purpose that you've given us, Lord. Lord, our best days are ahead of us. Our best days are ahead of us, Lord. The best is yet to come. And so I'm so thankful for that. This is a place of joy. This is a place of victory. This is a place of celebration today. The Bible says that heaven stops and rejoices right now in this moment. And so we as a church, we are so thankful that we get to be a part of people that were dead and now they're alive. In Jesus' name that we pray. And God's people said amen in this house. Amen at Limerick. Thank you so much.